Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, episode 247. We're talking with Kenton Moody about what God is doing in El Salvador and the importance of love. I've told uh, families many times the best way you could ever pay us is to love others and treat them as we treated you. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. We provide ways for you to hear a message, make connections, and take action. I'd like to mention that if you're interested in getting a podcast started, I'd love to be able to help you with that. Email feedback at engagingmissions.com so that we can get that started. Before we get into our show today, I'd like to say welcome to Bob and Tibbetts Tidbits, who both recently liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. If you're listening and you haven't connected on Facebook, but you'd like to, you can do that at facebook.com slash engagingmissions. I also want to mention that this is the last episode of 2018. It's been a good year. I hope that it's been good for you as well. This week, we're going to be talking with our guest about the power of love and faithfulness, as well as some of how our guest has seen God moving in El Salvador. It's a really great conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy this. All right. Today, I am incredibly happy to have with me Kenton Moody. He's a missionary and pastor who's been working with the poor and the gangs in El Salvador for nearly a decade now. Prior to that, he was the international director for Convoy of Hope. And from his experience, he brings a wealth of insight and perspective from having watched God work over the decades. Kenton, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Brian. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. You know, as we were chatting before we before we started recording, we, we were talking a little bit about El Salvador and the reality of the, the situation right there. And I would suspect that many people who are listening might be like me, where their view of El Salvador has been largely shaped by popular media or by stories that they've heard from somewhere, maybe maybe from people that have never even touched El Salvador. You're there right now. Can you tell us a little bit about what El Salvador is like? Well, one, it's a beautiful country, and I'm so fortunate to live here. It's my country. Hmm. And it's the smallest country in the Americas with the most densely, has a densely, more, excuse me, more densely populated than any other country in the Americas. And so comparatively, 300 per square kilometer to nine in Canada. And so, and it's a country that's been wracked by the civil war in the past. And right now, it's a country that's controlled a lot by gangs, the Mm -hmm. MS-13 and also the 18th Street Gang. A lot of people, when they hear about the MS-13 that's been in the news lately, President Trump has talked about it, his police forces are against the MS-13, but really the MS-13 didn't come from El Salvador, it originated in the barrios and the neighborhoods of Los Angeles when Salvadoran immigrants went in the 60s, 70s 
and 80s and were looking to simply protect their themselves and others and has really come to be a an international force anymore it's in countries all around the world unfortunately oh wow and you've been there, as I recall, for nearly a decade now, I think not eight or nine years, something like that. In that time, how how has your love for El Salvador grown and changed over the years? When I first came here, uh, I've previously been a missionary years ago in Panama as well, mm-hmm. and that was my country. And so coming here, I thought, you know, I'll I'll give four years or five years and I'll see where the Lord wants to take me from there. And after I'd been here a year, I realized, you know what, I'm probably going to need 10. Hmm. And after I'd been here five years, I said, I need the rest of my life to really make the difference that I feel like God's called me to make. And so the love for this country has grown. The people are beautiful. It's poverty is comparative. Hmm. And so there's people that are very needy here. We have one of the highest rates between the rich and the poor, the difference between the rich and the poor in the world. And But you know what? People are people all around the world, and El Salvador is a, it's just a wonderful country. Yeah. You, you mentioned that, that your love for the, for the country has grown and that you felt like you're going to need the rest of your life to accomplish what God has, has for you. What, what is that? I came to, to work with the poor, and I have done that in squatter communities, and a lot of the focus has been on children and youth. and. I started out working in the the streets of the squatter communities and with the children and trying to encourage them to live a life full of values, a life for Christ. We started feeding programs and small churches. But I found like many times that the pastors were not really interested in the children because they were not the ones that would bring in the offering. Mm. And finally, I you know, I said, well, I really need to start a church to, to better ground these young people and the, and, the, and the children. And it was not, I'd never been a senior pastor. I'd always been a number two guy or a number five guy or whatever mm-hmm. on a staff someplace. And when we planted our church, the emphasis was on that. And we've seen our church grow. We're running about, after six and a half years, about 350 in our church. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is children and youth. I just came from prayer meeting tonight on a Monday night. We had around probably 200 there, and over half of them are children and youth that are there praying and trusting God to save their family. And And so this has, has grown on me as well. We saw the need for education, and although I never had run a school or even done a, been involved in a school, I have a teaching degree back in the States from my college days that <laughs> we, we started a school. And right now, after this is our sixth year, we're running over 400 in the school, a kinder four through high school. And the goal of that was to provide quality education for the poor and at the same time to teach them values and also love. Mm. We found love to be a key ingredient in everything that we do here in El Salvador. Can you say a little bit more about how you found love to be that key ingredient in what you're doing? You know, we, we noticed that a lot of parents are not involved in their children's life. Here in El Salvador, it's the economy's tough. There's not a lot of jobs. And if parents can find a job, both of them are working. Just some, Many times, just like in the States, mm-hmm. that the kids are left out. And the kids are in the streets and they're, they're candidates to, to be involved in the gangs and to be delinquents. And so we began to simply love children. I remember the very first day of school in January of 2013, 
we had uh, about 132 students there that day. And we decided we're going to physically hug all of the children before they go to class. And so they just came in a line on the way to class. And, and my wife and I, we just hugged them all. Mm. And many of them were like a, like a stick, just hard, unyielding, didn't, didn't reach out their arms or anything. Mm. And it puzzled me at first. And then I realized, you know what? They're not used to getting a hug. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not loved physically. And sometimes that also makes one wonder if they're loved emotionally. And we've nurtured that love. If you come to the school today, Brian, as we walk in, the kids that actually come running up to you to give you a hug yeah. and yeah. to reach out in love. And we've seen how so in love, you reap love. Mm. And that's been evident in the school and in our church and our center of hope, which are the before and after school program and everything we've done. We've seen that love provide a harvest. As you're talking about that, I, I'm kind of flashing to 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love. And I'm I'm seeing, you know, love conquers all, love persists. You know, I, I can't quote it right now, but, you know, lo- love is that thing that's the higher thing. And I'm wondering if you were able to look forward and see, you know, 15, 20, 30 years from now, the impact of that love, what would you hope to see changed? I would hope to see changed the perspective that there's there's hope for the future and also that that love that we've invested that they're going to love others Mm. i've told families and children and youth many times the best way you could ever pay us for what the little that maybe we're doing in your life is to love others and treat them as we've treated you and uh, to me if if i can get people to to imitate that and if I could maybe highlight it with a story, yeah. there's a lady in our church, her name is Patty, and Patty was raped at 12 years old mm. and had a baby at 13, and she was in our first school that we had in a squatter community, and one of the members of the church of the community told me, she said, man, I'm really proud of you for having a single mother in your school. I'm saying, wait a minute, we only have first through fourth grade right now. How could we have a single mom? And as I investigated... This girl, 13, was going home on recess to breastfeed her baby. And when I went and, and saw their home and how they were living in just a plastic, black plastic shanty mm. and no food. And so we began to reach out, provide them food. Of course, they were free in the school and got them a uniform and, and food for the family and eventually built them a home. And now they live in a community actually provided by us, by the church. And Patty's daughter, Joanna, who was born out of out of a, a horrible experience is now in in first grade in our school really and so and god has done so many things and and to see her i just saw her on uh, sunday she was out there at prayer tonight on sunday morning she came up and gave me a big hug came up and sat in my lap when i was sitting in front and to see that love that was given mm-hmm. now bring forth love in her really gives me hope and encouragement. Yeah. One of the things that you wrote when we were kind of going back and forth before we, we before we got on the line, you, you wrote that if, if God could use me, he can use anyone. What, what did you mean by that? You know, I came from a, a farm background. I was a farm boy in Oregon. And then when I was 12, I moved to Missouri hmm. or misery, as we sometimes call it. <laughs> but, but, you know, I was shy and timid and went to church, 
but I didn't really see in me any talents or any special thing. I never spoke Spanish growing up. I didn't even know a Hispanic. Mm. Grew up in a very Anglo or a very white area. And yet God called me as a young boy of about eight or nine years old. I remember being in a mission service and going up to the front over uh, behind the piano and telling God, you know, I'll go where you want me to go. Mm. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. And this is just a boy. And God took that, that promise and, and converted it into somebody that he would send to another country to learn another language, to ner- uh, learn another culture and, and to be a blessing, something that my parents probably didn't imagine or others probably never would have seen in me. And so that's why I say if God could take me from such a, a humble background, a poor family, and send me off to some other place to help other people, then he can do that with anybody. Yeah, man. As I was thinking about that story, because I saw on your website the the call to missions around age nine, that to me seems like a very young age and a high level of maturity to recognize something like that. How did you how did you know that it was God's call at that time? You know, I I was probably a very fortunate child to be raised in a really a healthy home, and my parents always went to church, and so I was sensitive to to the voice of God and. Mm. Sunday school and and just being there and my parents praying over me, I I knew when God was urging me. And when I was in college, I wanted to be in ministry and I wanted to be a pastor, a missionary. My parents told me, you know, maybe you need a career just in case those things don't work out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, loving parents that are trying to care for you. But my last year in college, I went on a mission trip to the D- Dominican Republic. And I went to Evangel College in, in Missouri. Yeah. God spoke to me again. I was in my last year getting a teaching degree. And he said, this is not my future for you. I have something else I want you to do. I want you to remember that call. And I came back and I told my parents, I'll finish out my college. I'll do my student teaching. But missions is where I'm going. And that's what I'm going to do. And that's where God has led me You know, all this time. And just had his hand on me. Mm. And for me, I look back and say, man, what if? You know, what if I hadn't gone? What if I hadn't done? And if I could jump forward a number of years, because I've, I've had a number of tragedies in my life. Mm. And so that God has, has propelled me forward. And he knew where he wanted me to go and what he wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. So coming to El Salvador, I was working for for the nonprofit organization and people told me, you know, Kenton, you're doing great here. You know, we were working all over the world. I'd been to almost a hundred countries or helping after disasters. And, and I came to El Salvador leading a pastoral team to see one of our feeding programs that we had here. And the Lord spoke to me again. And he said, Kenton, if you don't come back and take care of these kids that were gathered around me, who's going to do it? Mm. And, you know, I tried to explain to the Lord, and to be honest, man, it makes me cry when I think about it. But I tried to explain to the Lord, you know, look at all I'm doing right now. And that question stayed there until I answered it. And the answer was, if I didn't come, no one was going to do it. Hmm. And I came. Yeah. And I look back now, and these kids that I've known for nine years that are in church, I saw them tonight, saw them praying, saw them crying. If I hadn't been here, where would they be? 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can think, well, somebody else, God will send somebody else. No, we have to go. God sends me. I have to respond. I have to do my part. And man, there is no greater satisfaction than knowing you're right in the perfect will of God. And I know it. Wow. I, I want to thank you for sharing that. That's actually touching me. I've, As you've been sharing your story, I've noticed a number of of crossover points, just on a personal level. My my mom's family is from Oregon. I went to school at Evangel. My degree is in music education, right? So there's all these different touch points. And the other thing is, you wouldn't know this, but at the time that we're recording this, they need a teacher for the kindergarten class at our church. And I've been kind of struggling with, is that something that I should take on? Because I'm looking at this going, God, do you see all this other stuff in here? You're telling this story. So I just want to thank you for opening up your life and sharing that because it's speaking to me and it's encouraging me. And and I'd like to encourage the, anybody who's listening right now, you know, if you've been arguing with God about something, I, I'm not here to tell you that you should do whatever that thing is. I'm just saying you need to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And and I'd like to thank Kenton for, for doing that. As As you think about the ministry, you mentioned that you had the answer that if I didn't do this, God didn't have, God wasn't sending somebody else at, at that point. What would have happened in your mind if you hadn't stepped into that? Well, I want to go back and, yeah, go and touch on one thing, if I may, yeah. and then I'll come back to that. One, coming here and working with children. When I've been a missionary previously in Panama, I'd been in Bible school. I'd been a Bible school academic dean. And so that's, I was a national Bible school director in Panama. And so but coming here, I began working with children and youth, and I never felt like I had that gifting with children. Hmm. But you know what? God changed me, and I'm a kid magnet. Kids are drawn to me. <laughs> Kids love me. And you know, I look back and say, man, where did that come from? But God, he, he gives us the talents that we need for the job he's called us to do. Hmm. And it's not something that, you know, I was trained to be a children's pastor. No, I never had any of that. A good sense of humor and a lot of patience goes a long way. But if I if I look back, if I hadn't have come, I don't think I I could have been satisfied in what I was doing. And I really believe that there'd be people lost and gone to hell mm. because of my disobedience. Yeah. And obedience in Ephesians chapter five, verse ten, it says, Look for what pleases God. And Really, what pleases God is the obedience. Hmm. We can't see His plan. We can't see the the hills, the valleys. We can't see all the curves. I mean, I came here and my wife, you know, contracted cancer and died here in El Salvador. And you think, well, what if I'd have stayed? If that wouldn't happen? And you know, if I'd have done all this, you know what? You have to be sure you're doing what God wants you to do and stick with it. Yeah. Stay there. One of the things I was wondering, because I, I saw that you had lost your, your wife to cancer, and I'm wondering, as you were walking through that time, was there ever a time during that when you thought that you might leave? No, I didn't think I would leave. After my wife passed away, you know, I I asked God, and I, I've i never been one to question God, and I don't say that because I'm super spiritual. I just, this hasn't been in me to question God, asking Him why. Hmm. But I have asked God, you know, what now? The Lord spoke to me the month after after my wife passed away, and He said, "My purpose nor my calling has changed for you. I want you to stay right where you're at." And 
there's a, a verse, I believe it's in Ezekiel. Ezekiel lost, lost his wife as well. Yeah. And the Lord spoke to him and he told him, I'm going to take away the, the, the jewel of your eye. And I want you to get up in the morning and I want you to go out and I want you to preach my word. He didn't give him a lot of grieving time, you know, he didn't take him away. And you know what? I found that verse about a month after my wife had passed away and God told me to stay and to keep going. And through, through service to others, he would take away my grief. And he did that. Yeah. And, you know, he, God has been faithful. I don't, we may not always see it as fair, but it's, he's been faithful. And God's also used that. I have a number of missionary friends that have gone through cancer and that type of thing. And I've been able to identify and pray for them and try to be an encouragement to them because of that. And so just another opportunity for ministry. Yeah. You, you talked a little bit about God's faithfulness. And I'm wondering, it seems like a lot of times when we see God's faithfulness in retrospect, we see that we've gone through a difficult time and then we see how God was faithful when we get on the other side of it. I'm, I'm wondering, can you point to a specific season or a specific time when you've really seen God's faithfulness played out and, and how that worked? Well, I, I would have to, you know, I have a number of miracles that God has, <laughs> has done. And I'll, I'll share a couple of them yeah. with you that, that are related to, well, couple to the school and then one to the church. And in the school, when I built the school, God told me, I want you to build a school on this piece of property. He gave us a miracle for the property. I didn't have the money. And and my wife told me, she said, how are you going to build a school? You know, we don't have any money. You know, missionaries, a lot of time they live from from month to month, seeing what's going to come in. Yeah. And, and I just, I had faith in my heart. And I said, you know what? God told me not to worry about the money, just to worry about doing his will. And so we started and almost had the school finished and went to get approval. God supplied all that money, went to get approval from the Ministry of Education. And they laughed at me. I said, you know what? You had to apply months ago. I said, but I couldn't apply months ago. I didn't have a building. <laughs> and they were shocked. They said, you mean you built a, a school building without having permit to start the school? And I said, yes. And the lady told me, she said, listen, you know, person, American <laughs> here in El Salvador, we have rules. And this is, she held the book up in front of me and in front of me. And she said, here we have rules and we're going to abide by the rules. You don't have permission. And I said, you know, excuse me and forgive me for saying this, but we have a saying in the United States forever rule. This is an exception. And I'm asking you to make an exception for these children. Mm. And her boss who hadn't said a word, sat behind the desk, just looking at me, he spoke up and he said, you know what? I think we can work with this guy. <laughs> and only only two times in my career have I seen anybody actually do anything to help other people without wanting anything in return. Hmm. And he said, we'll give you permission and we're going to come and visit you in two and a half months. And you better have all this list done and ready to go and you can start your school. Wow. We started the school. And the next month in January, I'd paid, you know, all the salaries here. You have to pay like a 13th month and everything. And I didn't have any money left and I had to have some stuff done. And I told, you know, I was telling myself, I said, man, who do I know? Who, who can give me $10,000 at least to get going on this? I, who can I email? Who can I call? And the Lord spoke to me just clear as day in my heart. And he said, Hey, Kenton, who supplied all the money up till now? <laughs> 
And I said, you have? They said, well, who are you going to trust, you or me? Hmm. And I said, you, forgive me, God. You know, within two weeks, had a, a pastor's wife call me from Texas, from the Lone Star Cowboy Church in, in Montgomery, Texas, and wanted to come down and, and said, I need a project, and brought down twice as much money to, to finish what I needed and do some more. The God opened the school, and the rest is history. And how he supplied a need in crucial time and really brought me to a point I didn't have anybody to trust in but him. Wow. And that's a great that's a great place to be. Yeah. Can I share one more about the church? Please do. I'm loving this. Okay. You know, when we started the church in in Santa Ana, sort of downtown, Santa Ana is about a, about four hundred thousand people. And we, we were reaching our limits and we had a rented coffee warehouse and uh, where they stored coffee. And so reaching our limits and I began looking for a place and, and found a place, but it was out on the outskirts of town, up on the Pan American Highway and right on the gang line between the MS-13 and the 18th Street gang. So I took my church leaders up there to see the place and they took one look at it on around there. They said, we're not coming here. And we don't want to bring our kids here. This is dangerous. You're out of your mind, basically, Pastor. You don't know what you're doing. And you know what? My wife was was really ill with cancer. And I drove her up there. And she was just going to get out on the edge of the property. And we got to the edge of the property. I drove up. She said, this is it. This is the place God has given us. And I said, okay. I take that as a Lord, you know, just confirming. And... We did a Jericho march, the old-fashioned way. We brought, I brought all the leaders, all the people up. We marched around the area, claimed us as ours. And God has built that into a wonderful place of refuge and peace. Never had any of the gang members bother us. We have gang families from both sides of the line coming and worshiping there, praying together. Youth from both sides. Never had anybody rob. Mark tagged the walls with graffiti. And we go into the communities around and build build homes for the people. And it's been a wonderful experience. Mm. And as I look back and I say, man, God, how how you plan these things, I don't understand it, but I'm so glad I'm part of the miracle. Thanks for choosing me. Yeah. That, that, that's incredible to think of. And it makes perfect sense if you think about it, but only if you think about it from a kingdom perspective to put a church right there on the border between the two gang lines and then to see God protecting it in such a way. One of the things I'm kind of wondering about, you've, you've talked a little bit about the, the violence in the gangs and some of the challenges that go with that. I think there are a lot of people that think they have an answer that, you know, if you need to create some legislation or you need to do something to fix this. From your perspective, what do you see as the need to stop the violence? It's, it's really got to be the church arises and does their job. And I had a meeting with church leadership this past week and a little survey for them. And I asked them just in regards to what the, what the gangs are doing in their country. And this is national church leadership. Do you feel like the church is really making an impact or doing what we need to be doing? And over half of them said no. Mm. And so they realized that the church Maybe, and I believe in proclamation, I preach the gospel, I'll share, or we go out and evangelize, but I also believe we have to be in, in the ministry and in the business of rescuing people. Hmm. And to rescue them, you have to do more than, 
than simply preach at them. You have to be involved in their lives. You have to know their name. You have to visit their home. And it takes people being out there. And that sounds like a real simplistic. But if I'm loving people and trying to be involved in their lives and providing some answers for them, then I'm going to make that difference. And the difference is made one by one Mm. in them. And, you know, we're getting ready to open or or start this. I signed the, the final property, turn over the check tomorrow for, for a home to rehabilitate gang members. Mm. And so we're working in the prisons. And I mean, this is a, Another miracle I ever really shared with you, but working in the youth prisons, God has just broken down walls. And just to share one one experience with you. Sorry, I got, got a little emotional there. So I'm <laughs> You're allowed. <laughs> okay. When we were going there, we were working specifically in the, in the prison with the 18th Street gang members. And most of them, when we go in, they don't wear shirts. They're just wearing like boxer shorts or something like that. And we had the chance to, to speak to them several times and pray for them. And I've purposely used that embracing them and hugging them. And I want to tell you, Brian, the first time that I hugged one of them with the tattoos over their body and 666 and 18 and other things that they had on there, I almost felt like I was embracing evil. Mm. But the minute that I put my arms around and embraced that, which many people here consider to be evil and the person to be evil. Mm. As I embrace that, the power of God and the presence of God was in that embrace. And as I embraced that young man, I felt not that he accepted Christ or he started crying or anything. No, I just felt that that presence of God in my embrace put the devil to flee. Mm. And I just felt the impact there. And we've seen it. Even the director of the prison said, you know, I see such a difference in these young men. And again, we've not seen mass conversion. I don't believe it'll come that way. I think it's one by one because the gangs are really structured. But they don't turn down prayer. They welcome us to be there. We're involved in in their lives in the prison. We're teaching agriculture. We're teaching carpentry. We just bought materials for to start a baking class in the prison. And so... I believe all of these things, helping people with their needs, and then that love is key. And I believe we can stop the violence. Every morning, I pray just as Moses did, may God arise and may his enemies enemies be scattered. Mm. I'm really glad that you shared that story. And one, it's it's a very powerful story from your experience. But the other is, you know, I'm I'm sitting here in the U.S. Most of our listeners are in the U.S. And let's be honest, we've got our share of problems too. And to hear the story of how God used that embrace in your life and in the lives of those people, that's that's powerful. It, it's the kind of thing that Scripture talks about when it talks about the word of the Lamb and the blood of the Lamb and the word of His testimony, and that you didn't love your life even to the death. I mean, that's. That's where that kind of powerful stuff comes from. And I appreciate you sharing your story with us. I'm also wondering, I'm intrigued by by the stories you've shared. And I know that not all of our listeners are called to go. Some of us are called to stay and be senders. And I'm wondering, what would you share with those of us who are called to stay rather than go and are starting to wonder, can, can or how can God use me? Well, I would disagree with you on your terminology. Okay. I, I think everybody's called to go, 
is this where you go? That's fair. And, and I really believe that everybody's called to do something. And one of the, probably the greatest disappointments I have in our, in our U.S. church is God has brought the mission field to the United States. You don't have to go anywhere. You can walk across the street. You can go to your local Walmart or, or dollar store, and you'll see immigrants. You'll see people in need that all you have to do is smile or treat them right or be interested in their kids, and, and they, they want that. The first five years of an immigrant, when they go to a new country, are the crucial years that you have a chance to win them. And sometimes we don't because we feel, well, my language or my culture, they're Muslim or they're this. That doesn't have anything to do with with friendship or with with caring for somebody. You can care, and they're going to want to know why. And then you're able to tell them why. Well, God loved me, and I love you. And so I really encourage people, look right around you. Some of the greatest mission field is is lying within a block or two blocks or right in your city. It's in your school. It's in your nursing home. It's it's with the single mothers that desperately need help and with their children. That's that's God's called you to that. Hmm. And yes, you may hey, you may send your money. Send it to to Kenton Moody. You know, I'll use it. <laughs> I, I'm not a, I'm not ashamed because I know I'll put it to work. I never have enough money to go around because all the projects that I really felt God's called me to do at the same time, do something where you're at. And, you know, sometimes there's, there's so many sad things. We see churches closing and the population is growing and the need is growing, but it's this lack of vision. Hmm. And so I encourage you. And if I'll say, go a little, a step further. If your pastor is not interested, if no one else is interested, you do it. Start with you. And I mean, you can create a movement, one person, what we've done down here, a lot of it I've done on my, I don't want to say on my own, but I've done just a lot of hard work, sweat, sweat equity, get it out there and doing it. A lot of times not knowing what I was doing or if I was doing it right, but at least I was doing it and trying to follow God's leading. And so hopefully that's an encouragement. Yeah, definitely. And I, I appreciate you sharing sharing that. As we're starting to draw this to a close, I'm wondering, how can we best pray for, for you and the ministry in El Salvador? Pray for, for favor, hmm. um, for protection. I, I go by the gangs every day. I live in a gang area. My house is there. I went by them tonight, picking people up for church, taking them back. Also pray for favor in the government. We have a socialist slash communist government here in El Salvador in the sense that their their outlook. And also I ask you to pray that God gives us an awakening. In El Salvador, we have a, a church for a evangelical church for about ever two thousand inhabitants. Mm. That's that's a lot of churches. But churches that are actually making an impact are a lot less. Mm. And we need an awakening. It's not preaching, it's not singing, it's not liturgy. It's it's loving people and loving them into the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, for, for those of you that are listening, I would like to encourage you to pause the recording right now. Just take a minute to pray for Kenton and for the ministry in El Salvador. Pray for favor and protection and for an awakening. Those are, those are huge prayers. And 
our prayers matter. So I would encourage you to do that. We have links in the show notes so that you can connect with Kenton if you'd like. He did mention that if you have extra resources and you're looking for an opportunity to make a difference in the kingdom, he's available and he'd be glad to take those and put them to good use. So we'll have ways for you to connect with him right there. Those show notes will be at engagingmissions.com slash Kenton Moody. Kenton, I want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's, it's been wonderful for me. Well, I, I appreciate you, Brian, and may God continue to bless you. And we'll have to email back and forth about Evangel College and some yeah, of the other stuff. No kidding. As well, the, the music education. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. God bless. I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed that time with Kenton, especially for me on a personal level. It was really neat to have that evangel connection from college. But that notwithstanding, I'd like to say thank you to Kenton for making himself available to share his story and share what God's been doing. I feel better for it, and I I hope that you do as well. I'd also like to say thanks to people like Daniel, Jordan, Gordy, Denise, Kurt, and so many more who have been connecting on Facebook and leaving comments or likes or shares, as well as occasionally sending feedback to me by email or things like that. I really appreciate that. And as we close out the year, I want to say one more time to Jeff and Gabby, a huge thank you for what they bring to the show. I really appreciate it, and I think it helps us make a better show overall. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Kenton Moody. That's where you're going to find links and quotes and ways to connect with our guests so that if you want to take that relationship a little bit further, you can. Make sure that you come back next year. In that first episode, we're going to be hearing from a gentleman named Rohati about the need for creativity and some really interesting ways to include people who might otherwise be marginalized. I think this is a really good and a really necessary conversation. Make sure that you don't miss that. If you haven't already, the best way to do that is to subscribe to the show. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. Choose your favorite podcast app or the way that you would prefer to have the show delivered to you. And then also, help us understand how we can improve the show to make it better for you. I'm already looking at some ideas for 2019. I've got a a number of interviews recorded already, but I am looking at some ways to make the show better, to make it a little bit more focused. And I'm looking for some feedback from you on an ongoing basis. So if there's something that I do that you wish I wouldn't or something you wish I would do more of, please never hesitate to reach out. I always want to hear from you and especially things that I can do to make the show better so that it serves you better. Again, send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com and I really look forward to connecting with you next year. 